This is Story in Mind and Moss Whelan. And it is just after four. I'm looking up and I can see Polaris, the Pole Star. There's a, um, I want to say it's a fecund smell in the air. It's, uh, smells like life. And I'm pretty sure it has to do with the, um, the new green leaves that have come out. And one thing they do is they create this canopy. Um, while walking, whereas before it was sort of like an umbrella with a, without a fabric on it. You know, it's just these branches, em- empty branches. But now there's this presence. Just looking over, and I'm seeing the space station. What is that? Um, just orienting myself. I think it's in the south. As I look, it looks seems like it's it's over the south. Over the United States. And, uh... Let's see, topic. Uh, Starship. I found myself thinking a couple times about starships, and I've been thinking about a scenario where people believe that they're on a world, and then it turns out that they're in fact on a huge, massive starship, and it's either a virtual reality that they're living within, say in order to survive, that the ship has manufactured this or in order to, say, um, colonize, like, say, to get to another planet, that people are existing within this sort of virtual reality. There were a number of thoughts I had of how to do this, like, say, oh, could they be in cryonic, what's it called, sleep, sort of a hibernation, uh suspension and that they are imagining this say and that they're going to wake up when when they get there and they'll be unplugged but I more like the idea I don't um, I've had the fortune slash misfortune of watching I think most of Star Lost, which was written by Harlan Ellison, and I believe it was produced up in Canada. But the, um, what's it called? Conceit of the show. The conceit, the premise, is that um, these characters that have grown up in this village 
village slash farming community where there's all these kind of rules. Um, it's very religious and there's a belief system. But they, through a series of incidents, they wander out. Um, they sort of have to leave this area. And when they do that, they find out they're actually on a spaceship and they're in this kind of biodome. And there's other biodomes. Uh, almost like, say, um, uh, different, say, parts parts of a world that they can go and explore. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's such a great premise and, it, you know, full of imagination and playing with notions of belief. But of course, it got mangled up and the producers went cheap and they, um, you know, once again, it was sort of rubber monsters and shaky sets, that kind of thing. Which is fine, but... It would be interesting to see uh, a remake of it. But say where they went in and um, honored uh, the vision that uh, Harlan Ellison had. I remember another is um, I sort of I have this memory of being younger and looking at a heavy metal magazine where it was which is it's this uh, collection of comic book um, and into its say you know mature comic book for a mature audience this is back say in the 80s and uh, and and I remember reading I might have caught up later with it too to sort of fill it out but I I know that Mobius the artist Mobius had a um, a notion of worlds within a spaceship that there was this massive spaceship and then within that there was uh, these people who dwelled within the spaceship but didn't realize it was a spaceship, you know, they thought they'd lived on a world and there were many levels to this and there were people that say could move back and forth and knew about the spaceship and sort of would go up. Um, and it was a great thought um, experiment or... You know, just sort of, you know, a surprising, you know, step through a gate and suddenly you're uh, on a spaceship. And... It's playing with notions of belief and thinking that you're you, you're somewhere when you're actually somewhere else, which which opens up sort of new ideas of and um, potential. Why? Ah, 
so that one doesn't say get trapped in you know in the narrow pigeonholed and and uh, so that there's a vista rather than this kind of pointless um, thoroughfare <laughs> roundabout you know you're stuck and instead of that going it's like no there's infinite potential like for example you know I can go and sit down and write and have an adventure and I can travel and uh, I can do things amazing things and likewise you can pick up a book you know and have all these things happen go somewhere meet people uh, via the imagination another example is that right now wherever you are we are we are on a ball of magma hurtling through space and in a sense it's a it's a rocket ship you know and this everything about this uh, you know rocket ship that we live on of course it doesn't seem like you know we're traveling through space at a huge huge amount of speed but we are spinning and we're being pulled along by a star you know we're caught up in its gravity and its wake and in in a sense you know we do exist on a starship and people who dream of space travel it's like it's happening right now we are hurtling through space so there's a bit of a argument there as well we don't have to go you know we don't have to go travel and explore space because we are we are already doing that but of course it's just fascinating and interesting to know more, see more, get out there, explore, do the impossible, even within our own solar system. So this starship. So if you if you ever get a chance to see Star Lost and there's oh man it's um sprinkler season so i'm just sort of gauging where, where you know it's like okay what side of the street and you know not uh, wanting to get um suddenly sort of caught up in it uh yeah so star lost I think the main goal initially is to get to the sort of command, the deck, um, what is it in Star Trek? The bridge. 
So it's, it's, it's this, you know, to get to the bridge, and once they're there, that they can make these corrections. It's that the ship is heading towards a, uh, a star, right? It's sort of plummeting to a, towards a star, and there's a limited amount of time. avoiding this sprinkler system here. I'm just looking up at the space station again. Uh, there was a, a movie uh, last couple of years, uh, French, called uh, Valyrian, which is based on a comic book and a series of comic books about some uh, time-traveling agents uh, from the future. But there's this wonderful build-up of the space station. So the International Space Station joins with other space stations around the world. It just sort of adds on and adds on until it finally gets too big and I think it's Rutger Hauer who is sort of announcing that you know, the, this Uber space station is now going to leave Earth. And as it does, it gets even bigger as it comes across uh, alien species who also join on. It's kind of like, say, embassies. You know, so there's the, the Earth part. And then on and on and on until it becomes this massive... Uh, intergalactic city. It's beautiful ideas. And I, I won't give away the um, there's something going on uh, but I won't give that away. And what else can I say? Visually stunning and not I think I, I, I think the, say the criticism <laughs> my sort of my sci-fi my SFF bone uh, part you know my organs you know that enjoy that kind of stuff says I just I don't care but in critiquing it oh man more sprinklers well uh yeah, in critiquing Valerian, there is a, a a lack of story, meaning the internal um, conflict, the internal growth that happens.
what about it? That there's this lack of that. So we're watching a show that is quite external. Um, and, and wonderfully so. There's, you know, just visually stunning. So if only for that, right? You know, that's, that's a reason to watch it. And so right now I'm just thinking of these two main characters and thinking about I think I think what what happened was there's such a nostalgia say you know it's it's a French um comic book and it's been around for quite a while so there's a cultural reference to it and then say generational reference and when you're thinking about it in that sense of comic book, right, say that I, I, I want to sort of go and say, oh, well, comic book movies, they don't really, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't take them seriously. But there is this potential, and, and that's something from Valerian that I'm, I'm still finding myself thinking about going, yeah, you know, there was so much potential there. Uh, I, I would say it's like, you know, it's an action movie. That's what it is. And it, it, if you want to bring in this question of the internal arc, one, one of the difficulties with it was the protagonist, it was shared, so we didn't have a main character. And... There wasn't anything really wrong at the beginning. And I'm just going through my mind thinking about these, uh, this couple. It's like two people. Uh, and you know that they're going to get together. The question is how, right? So that, that's the question. But even then, it didn't feel satisfactory. And what is it? Uh, the woman wants a serious relationship. Her name, I, I believe she's Valerian. And then her male counterpart, this other time agent, uh, he's a player. You know, he's he's not serious about relationships. He's a love them and leave them kind of guy. And she critiques him for this, and he's trying to, he's, you know, he's trying to get together with her. You know, I'm, oh, I'm so, I'm sincere. But uh, she doesn't believe it. That's not enough. You know, and it would have been great if they had, say, focused on Valyrian, made it her story, and uh, to, to, to give it this depth. But I think that what that would have done is sort of robbed the... Um, Rob the story of its comic book quality, sort of surface, which is which is an injustice because 
I've read and experienced comic books that have great depth. So it's I'm sort of doing this generalization. Uh, and two, there's this binary of comic books where we have, you know, comic books are still being made where it's just a, a sock'em, rock'em, you know, hit, uh, um, punching, fighting, you know, that's what it's about. And, you know, there's comic books that don't go, that don't have depth, and that's okay. You know, there's, you know, there's a audience that wants that. And then there's the flip side. There's uh, there are comic books that are complicated and that are dramatic. And then there's this mix, this back and forth. But back to starships. Um, the sci-fi I grew up with, let's see, there was Star Trek, that was uh, very much at home, I was growing up with that. My stepfather had watched the original series when it was broadcast, and so he, he was a proponent, you know, of of continuing to to watch the um, like say when the the next generation came out and so there was this uh, experience and delight with not only the starship but this crew one part of it was this militaristic component which we downplay, but it's still there, and most movies and stories have an element of that, that there's this um, hierarchy. You know, you have the, the captain at the top, and you have the crew, you know, down below. I had a chance to meet an author at the last convention I went to here, and sci-fi convention, and he's writing military sci-fi. Uh, he, you know, he's actually a retired soldier, and and so it makes sense. Like, say he's he's got the training and education and know-how. But, but I am curious about uh, an experience of a starship, say, that's not like that. I'm thinking of something like um, Firefly 
and there's other stories out there like that where we have a, a group of people that are not bound up. There still is, like say, one person is usually the captain. It would be interesting to see it um, not so rep representative, say, but more like, say, a true democracy rather than I think it's representation democracy, representative democracy. In my own thinking of the starship, that it is being controlled and taken care of by um, robots, androids, artificial life forms that are able to exist um, out in this mechanized environment. You know, that that you know they're not bothered by it whereas the humans for them it's important to have the experience it's sort of like say that it's hardwired and then if you know if you unplug somebody from that that uh, almost like say cabin fever right and there's just certain things that that uh, people human beings require and so therefore they have this uh, environment that has been constructed. And I, I have this sort of notion of people who accidentally leave and they end up on this spaceship sort of wandering the halls kind of like you know lost and bewildered you know all of a sudden they're looking out of these windows out into space and you know they're being sort of shepherded back into the virtual environment by uh, these robot robotic caretakers And it, it feels something like the whole met metaverse idea, you know, that we're actually living within a simulation. And that when we, when we leave it, when we get outside of that, that we get sort of <laughs> brought back, right? That these uh, angelic bodhisattva kind of beings, you know, bring us back to earth and that almost like say a transcendent experience you know leaving the virtual environment and we transcend it and we realize oh my gosh I'm on a spaceship and circling round many episodes ago I was talking about the the Cave of Shadows. Was that? I think that's Plato. 
and it's this uh, kind of like a parable um, it's used in philosophy and just this notion that there's something greater outside of our experience and that we are actually inside uh, a cave and we're watching shadows on a wall these shadows that are um, the light source is a, a fire, like a campfire, and but we're not even looking at the campfire, we're looking at the shadows that are being cast on the wall, and that that's our experience of you know what we what we think of as reality. So I'm thinking of it in the same sense that the virtual environment is the cave of shadows and that going out onto this spaceship and encountering these uh, androids etc that that's the our transcendent experience I'd like to get uh, more of, of those um, These, these sort of educational stories, mind-bending ideas. Because it feels like I just have a few. I have a couple big ones, like the Cave of Shadows. But, of course, there has to be more. So I'm, I'd like to put that on my list of things to do. Uh, really great and helpful illustrations. It's twilight. There's the a glow on the horizon. Let's see. Yeah. It's halfway, so we can go down to the other street. One of the starships that I saw fairly recently that I quite liked was, I believe it was Warren Ellis, comic book writer, and it was, uh, I think the series was, I think it was Interstellar, but the the premise of the series was uh, taking, reinventing, re-examining, or examining uh, comic book tropes. Um, so, so various uh, comic book stories. I think the the key one that I'm thinking of is, say, the Fantastic Four as villains that they go out in their rocket ship and they're transformed but the transform transformation it distances them them in like i said you know angelic bodhisattva like beings but in a way they become uh 
the transcendence is a, a bad thing, right? They be, they, they're no longer human. They believe themselves to be superior. They experience it that way. They know they are superior. They have superpowers. And they become dictators, essentially. And uh, behind the scenes, and they go around murdering other superheroes, and um, such as a, a Green Lantern type of character. So, uh, the superhero, what is it called? The genre uh, is fodder for, uh, like Warren Ellis is using it, mining it. The Fantastic Four element I'm thinking of is there's a spaceship way out, vast spaceship, alien spaceship, and it's a Galactus type of character uh, who they've murdered, or that was my read into it. And, and two, that they, they took uh, technology, etc., from this ship. So it was turning it inside out. And not only did they defeat this version of Galactus, but they um, looted, right? You know, and they, they gained m even more knowledge, technology. And going aboard that space, starship, spaceship, this vast thing, that there were um, animals. Uh, I remember visually that it was sort of, it was like this, it was like, say, Galactus is this giant. And then there's this these planes within the spaceship. There's uh, a landscape, and so I was I was thinking of, you know, Galactus is like this um, giant astronaut who either has has say brought from their alien world you know, species, and so on and so forth, or maybe it's kind of like a zoo. But I remember in the comic book, there, there were these, uh, almost like gazelles, who were racing along. And, and the body of uh, Galactus is being used by these creatures. I almost thought, too, it's like, well, maybe they are from him? Maybe these are kind of Maybe there's a kind of evolution going on where, um, which is very mytholo mythological. There's many myths of creation stories about, you know, a being that, uh, say, it could be a dragon or a giant who dies, and from, from the body, you know, all of, all of uh, creation comes from. Via, via this death comes life. So that that was that was a pleasing one. That was sort of say, 
you know, using familiar situations and inverting them and putting them on their head. There was a, a pilot done, I think it's Ronald Moore, of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, and, and then he got a start in Star Trek Next Generation. But he was taking the um, holodeck from Star Trek to the next level. And one of the thoughts I had was Star Trek ought to do a hollow ship. And there's all kinds of complications there. But they're sort of going in that direction. So here's a full on sprinkler, like the old fashioned sprinkler is not one of the uh, built into the lawn, but. This is a sprinkler that's, uh, you know, does this kind of waving back and forth. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, the 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 hollow ship, and my my thinking is that it's a simulation and that possibly the crew knows that it's a simulation. We did have a, uh, a doctor in... We did have a doctor, and I think we even saw a ship of doctors in Star Trek... Oh, Voyager. And it was just this brief mention of it. But I got very curious about that, and, and I thought, yeah, that's the next step. You know, and what a wow to sort of have a Star Trek crew, say the Enterprise, realize that they're actually holographic. And, you know, what a kind of sort of conundrum, sort of sitting there going, am I alive? This brings me back to Lister of Red Dwarf. And if you haven't seen the show, it's a parody, spoof, uh, and yet it has a lot of charm. Um, you know, if you don't mind a, a bit of ha-ha. And it just, it plays with uh, the tropes in sci-fi. So, as I remember, understand it, Lister, uh, Lister has died, but he's been brought back as a holograph, or a hologram, and he has an H on his forehead that identifies him as such, and he'll have moments where he can wink out, you know, that he's people will turn him off. And I think they did some exploration 
a number of times they were exploring, and I, I believe there was something like uh, a number of holograms on a sh- um, ship, and it was it was like a, a ship that was run by holograms. Just recently, there was a episode of Black Mirror that, while disturbing, they had uh, a ship of that the crew were essentially had been hijacked, and um, for the for the pleasure of the captain, and uh, essentially, you know, essentially they were holograms. Uh, these uh, virtual people. I guess the difference is that uh, holograms, say, would be existing in the real world, whereas, um, say, the virtual world. If you if you ever saw the old Star Trek Next Generation, they had this great episode that had uh, a Moriarty character who was virtual, and I can recommend that one to look up and watch because it was. It, it was it was dealing with the it was dealing with the um, the difficulty of say you exist and yet you are not real. Uh, it was very much like say the clone situation, where there's a question of you know well who's the real person? I feel like I'm you know original and everything. And to on that note, you know. That's one of my great dilemmas. I don't know about you, but having been devalued uh, to, I, I feel sort of an allegiance, and you know maybe other people as well. This sort of questioning of one's own value and sense of self-worth, and. Um, uh, and and pursuing that right how how does how does one become more real in a sense instead of you know feeling like a fictional character or the or the person who's in a waking dream And um, that Black Mirror episode, I think it was last year, but again, I can I can recommend it, even though it is uh, heavy. It's, uh, it's it's mature, and it's um, disturbing. Uh, it ends on a great note of uh, hope, and it was it was great because I felt I wanted it to con- to continue, and I, I think that that is a successful episode where you're sitting there going I want to see the second episode I want to see this uh, I, I don't want it to end and perhaps that's something of, for a bit of fanfic uh, to return and to sort of um, consider the adventures of this uh, group of uh 
hijacked virtual people. Uh, Black Mirror is a TV show. It's Twilight Zone, but even darker. And uh, darker and disturbing. If you can imagine such a thing. And two, I don't think I've, I don't think I've watched them all, because they do, they do get disturbing. But this was this was one with a uplifting um, ending. And I think too, it, it's sort of say it's a return to the hope of the original series of Star Trek, which it's referencing. And on that note, I'm now wondering about Star Trek Discovery and uh, it's it's for me they're they're hobbling along and and apparently you know they've managed to get a third season and I have, of course I'm going to watch it, but I, I, I'm just sort of, you know, really sort of like, ooh, what are they going to, they're, they're really trying hard emotionally at the end of the second season, and the, yeah, and two, they weren't doing Star Trek, so that that's difficult it's um, you know they're trying out something fresh and new but they were you know making these big blunders just personally you know whether it's why isn't the main character the captain which would have been awesome why is uh, why are the Klingons you know um, yeah, it, it, the Klingons never got properly explained, and yeah, and and then finally the uh, LGBTQ plus um, disappointment. It was a great opportunity to, you know, don't kill the gay characters, right? <laughs> Just, you know, leave the gay characters alone. Why? Because they're a minority, right? Let's take care of them. Let's not, not do this tragic thing. And, and two, it really spoke to the um, uh, 
there's this sort of undertone to it. I can just sort of smell the the production, uh, the producers, and subtext subtextually what's going on, and I don't like it, and uh, it's not my Star Trek, especially on that level that, you know, if, if they aren't going to address, uh, if, if they're not going to make a social criticism, and two, it's sort of, this sort of broad sweeping, it's like, oh, well, you know, the main, main character is a African-American and and then I have to add to onto it onto that and said you've made her a terrorist right it's like <laughs> what why don't you make the character's name is Michael and I, I don't think that that has been explained either does it matter why isn't she Michelle does that matter apparently not. Are they making a statement? But, you know, my critique is like, hey, make the main character the captain. Have some white guy that's the terrorist. Give me that. Give me that sort of... truth. I don't know. I just was uncomfortable from from the get-go. And not in a good, uncomfortable way. I'm just like going, you know, oh man, how can you mess up the Klingons? The Klingons are awesome. Uh, and here's a perfect opportunity to, you know, introduce me to this sort of, actually, it was all a dream. They're all, it's virtual reality characters and... There is no spaceship discovery. It's, it all exists in your TV sets. It's a computer simulation, you know, that uh, is used by Starfleet. You know, so people will scan in. Students, right, will scan in and go aboard. And there will be, you know, repairmen that... And it's sort of like, we know that the discovery is assimilation but this but the discovery does not know the crew the captain you know that would be a wonderful mind bending thing and then we could explain away the klingons and disenfranchising minority groups and you know <laughs> and to I hate that when it's sort of oh we didn't mean that you know, we're talking about millions of dollars. I, I sort of get a feeling of the yes man um, syndrome, where people have surrounded themselves with yes, 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 and they're not receive, they're not getting feedback and critique that is, you know, adding fullness. Uh, and now let's shift over. I'm thinking of George Lucas because that was something that got pointed out to me that uh, he had 
a bunch of people working on his screenplay for the first movie. And then it was kind of downhill from there. And whatever, right? You know, if you want to be the auteur, there's a price to pay. I think, I think you know, if you're really serious about it, and I kind of get that feeling that there's this lack of, um, of that. Anyway... Sort of say that we, you know, we, we get steeped, we get steeped in the visual, we get steeped in the arts, art and craft of filmmaking, but not of the screenplay, not of the script, not of the text. Uh, not even say where you'll have, like, say, a play will be workshopped, right? That, you know. You won't just have people reading it, but they will they will go through it, they will beat it with a stick. Everybody will, you know, sort of work and um, have an opportunity to, to transform it into something greater than what it was. But let's end talking about the Millennium Falcon. I don't know what it is that jump starts me i i was i'm not a big fan of the um I'm trying to remember if the millennium falcon was in the prequels that's something that i'll have to go back to check out but i just remember seeing the new star wars movies that and even even the Han Solo movie. It was wonderful. And it felt like it was for me. And I remember seeing it. I, I, I swear that I saw it in the movie theater. But, I, you know, I, I definitely saw it. And there's wonder, exploration, adventure, imagination, thrill. To it, uh, and so it was so pleasing to see it again, and for me, it's a centerpiece. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm confused about, like, say, the Han Solo movie. For me, ought to have been the Star Wars movie. You know that that same consideration was was invested that we're, that we're going to do a return and it's it's a yes and a no you know yes we go back to you know Tatooine in the first movie but it just it felt so far away and like i said yeah i just wanted the whole thing to be, you know, Millennium Falcon from beginning to end and that we're always in the Millennium Falcon and maybe we'll get that in the, the third and hopefully last movie Moss, what do you mean hopefully? Well, because I'm not getting what I want 
and I'm getting this kind of rehashing and uh, and and disappointment like say there was this you know definitely animated computer animated character called Stoke who you know he was just the bad guy I didn't have any sort of connection and yeah I'm imagining though that there's, you know there's a there's an a crew of 12 year olds that are immensely happy with this whole thing and uh, it has its moments and too obviously you know it's meant for the fans, the Millennium Falcon. Uh, and obviously they want to do more. Uh, and obviously they think that, you know, they think that this is best. And some people will be really satisfied with that. So I'm just going back, okay, well, what was the magic of the, from the writing perspective of the first movie and that spaceship, that starship? What was it that... There, I, think, I believe there was, were two other writers, two other people that worked on the script. And... They brought banter... And they brought the theme, these punctuations of, uh, of the theme. And I'm being, I'm being critical. I'm just sort of getting back to it and going, well, what was, what was so effective? And I'm just, I'm just going back now to the prequels and going... Well, is it, is it possible to have a young Han Solo in the prequels? You know, what, what would that have looked like? You know, having, having some snark. And I, th I think that, it, that it's, you know, the, the banter there is um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and... So the starship. Maybe ending with, say, preoccupation and pop culture. Um, Jefferson Airplane, musical group from the 60s, early 70s. They uh, transform into Jefferson Starship. I think briefly they were Starship and it became Jefferson Starship. Or did it, did it go from Jefferson Starship just to Starship? Uh, preoccupations with even say you know my own uh, David Bowie and uh, 
this character of Ziggy Stardust, and a fusion with the sci-fi story, The Man Who Fell to Earth, and this notion of traveling through space. Uh, seeing an interpretation of Frank Herbert's Dune and um, the guild's ships that can travel without moving as space is folded around them. Exploring, you know, the flying saucer and aliens, alien abductions in shows like, say, The X-Files. Where we have this, also um, these odd moments of conspiracy and... Uh, a question of, say, purpose that flying saucers and aliens uh, actually serve a purpose. It's great because we never actually, or at least I never actually got, there was never, it seems like there was never a conclusion to the whole matter. My own, my own take on it is something like, um, the novel Millennium, which was made into a movie, it was pretty good. And uh, that had to do with uh, time travel, and that the, the premise uh, for Millennium was that uh, time travelers were going back, and uh, just before uh, crashes, just before um, plane crashes, where, say, everybody dies, or most people die, that uh, these time travelers would show up on the plane, abduct the people, replace the bodies, uh, and the abducted people would go to the future. And I quite like that premise. I thought, you know, that makes sense. Rather than, you know, cow, cow mutilation and probing and abductions. Why? Oh, because the whole thing is quite nefarious, and I've run out of time. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to and about starships as we plummet along on Starship Earth. Take care.